0: I'm continuing with a series that Pastor Carol started two weeks ago called Good, Good Father. And um, two weeks ago, we took a break last week because we had uh, our Vision Sunday where Pastor Andrew shared uh, with us on where the church is going, uh, our property project, and the things really that the Lord has led on our heart to do as a church together. And so Pastor Carol, in a message, in opening the series, she talked about the woman Uh, who was caught in the very act of adultery in John chapter 8, and, and how her accusers brought her before Jesus, and Jesus did not condemn her because people came to trick Jesus. It was so funny that for her, it was a matter of life and death, but for the people, it was a trickery. Like, how do you have the two people are coming to trick Jesus, and on the other hand, this woman is potentially going to be stoned? and die and we learned how jesus at the end said to the woman that he doesn't condemn her that she should go and sin no more and so today we're going to continue with that series and we're going to be talking about uh, a man that i think we know if you've been around the christian circle for some time you might have heard of the name david or maybe your parent named you david before you got saved and you wondered why it's because he's in the bible <laughs> And so we're going to be talking about David uh, from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16 through to potentially 2 Samuel chapter 5. But the story of David is such a comprehensive story, and it's, it's hard in one sermon to preach the whole life of David. And so in honor of Pastor Andrew's uh, Property Piggy Project, I decided that we'll use three P's for our message today, or three or four P's. All right, but I'll mix it with cucumbers. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that was for you, Pastor Andrew. So anyway, so I'm going to dive straight into reading the word from um, 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, it's a story of this is the time the Lord had rejected King Saul, who was the first king of Israel. Uh, That there was a prophet called Samuel, who was uh, the biggest prophet at that time in Israel. And uh, the Lord had used him to anoint King Saul. And so this is where the story starts from um, 1 Samuel chapter 16 from verse 1. What I've done is that I've mixed up a a few verses together. uh, But you can find all of them in 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to this sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And the story continues later on in chapter 16. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance. Sounds like Mike. And um, <laughs> s- sorry, I was just reading the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and, a hands- and handsome features. All right. All right. <laughs> Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Rise and anoint him. This is the one. Now this is the story as I was saying earlier on that the Lord had rejected King Saul as king because God had given him an instruction to do something and he didn't do exactly what the Lord had asked him to do. So the Lord had decided that he would not allow him to continue being king in Israel. And so the prophet Samuel from the story seems to have loved King Saul so so much and he continued to mourn and cry for the fact that God had rejected him. And so in the beginning of chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, God comes to Samuel and says to him, I want you to arise and fill your horn and go and anoint one of the sons of Jesse. But God doesn't tell him which son of Jesse should be anointed as king. And so this is a story of two fathers even from chapter 16. One is the natural father of David who is Jesse and the heavenly father of David who is God. And both of them are portrayed in the story. And so the one who is God has orchestrated this whole thing. He is the one that spoke to the prophet to go and anoint him. And David doesn't know what the heavenly father has prepared and is planning in the background for him. But there's also a natural father who in the story has his own preferences amongst the children that he has. He has some sons that he thinks are strong enough and deserving of becoming kings in Israel. And David was not one of them that he deemed to be one that would be suitable to be king. And so the prophet uh, gets to town. Now it was a big thing for the prophet to come to your town. And so the elders of the town who were the leaders of the town, when they heard that the prophet has arrived, they asked him, Prophet, have you come in peace here? Is Is there anything we need to know why you are here? Why are you here? He said to them, listen, I'm here, I'm here in peace and I'm here Because the Lord has me on an assignment. I want you to consecrate yourselves, which just meant keep yourself pure. You know, and it also included just wash yourself physically. Just like get water and wash yourself and be clean. So that we can present ourselves before the Lord and sacrifice to him. And then Samuel himself consecrated the sons of Jesse. And so the story continues. As Samuel is beginning the process of anointing the new king of Israel, probably he's he's got his own views of who should be king. And so, Jesse brought seven of his sons, and David was not included in the sons that were brought before Samuel. And so, the first son is presented to Samuel, and Samuel looks at the son. Even the prophet himself says, This indeed must be the one that the Lord has chosen. Because his physique was second to none. He looked tall. He looked like he was a strong man. And the Lord said to him, listen, I don't look at the outside appearance, but I look at the heart. I have not chosen him. And so the whole process continues until the seventh son passes by. And the prophet Samuel has not been instructed by God to anoint them. And so he's puzzled, probably is beginning to wonder if he heard God correctly. Because all the seven sons that were consecrated had been brought before him and none of them qualified to be anointed as new king in Israel. And so then Samuel asked, is there anybody else left amongst your sons that... Maybe we should bring them also before here. Maybe the Lord has chosen them. And so they bring David. It's fascinating because David was not consecrated together with the other sons. Because if he was consecrated, he would not be tending the sheep at this time because that would be unclean. And so David is outside with the sheep when His brothers are being almost potentially anointed as kings. He's been overlooked. I don't know why his natural dad decided to overlook him. I don't know why his natural dad thought David is not fitting to be king. I don't know why he was ignored by his natural father. And he says to David, David, come in now. When I think and I picture this story, I don't know how you grew up as a young girl or a young boy, but if we had a visitor that was prominent, that visited our house, that day all of us would be clean very early before the usual time. <laughs> because we being clean was a reflection of our parents, and so if we if we have a visitor coming, if they're arriving at 10, all of us by 7. We're clean, we're smelling good. We're like When we say, hi, uncle, or hi, aunt, it means we're clean and we've been washed. If you happened to not have washed yourself by the time the aunt arrived at home, you, you have to hide until they've left or something. Or you have to sneak your way into the house somewhere until you're clean to come and say hello to them. Here is the prophet who had arrived, who was a prominent person in Israel. And David is probably stinking and he's unclean and he hasn't been consecrated. And he has to find himself standing in the presence of the prophet who has come to anoint the next king. And qualified because you cannot be anointed unless you've been consecrated first. And I can imagine he's probably playing his harp, and he's probably singing some songs. I don't know if he's singing a song that's popular or a song that he was just composing right there in the moment. And we're not told who went to call him that the prophet is calling for you. And so they called him and he comes in. And then the Lord makes this declaration and says, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Picture this for a moment that you have been overlooked by your natural father. We don't know why. Maybe he just didn't believe in David. Maybe because he wasn't too confident of David's looks that he would be deserving of being king. Maybe he thought David didn't speak well enough to come and stand before the prophet. We don't know the reasons why his natural father thought he was unqualified. But here comes David and his heavenly father makes a declaration. And says he's the one. The people might say that he's not the one. But I am saying he's the one. And I thought I would bring an announcement to you this morning. That maybe you feel overlooked. Maybe your natural parents didn't give you the things that you thought you deserved. Maybe you felt like you doubted yourself or somebody doubted you. And therefore they didn't give you the opportunity you thought you deserved. But I'm here to tell you that you are the one. That your heavenly Father is saying, "You are the one. You are the one that He has chosen to do exactly what He has called you to do." There's no somebody better or anyone else. But you are the one that He has chosen to do exactly what He's called you to do. He says to Samuel, he "says He is the one. Anoint him, because He's the one that I have chosen." To be king in Israel. That probably was an awkward moment. Have you. I don't know if you've been in a place where. People thought. You weren't going to get that. Whatever that is. Whether it's a marriage. Whether it's a job. whether Whatever people thought you didn't qualify for. Something that you were overlooked for. And in the presence of those very people. You get it. It becomes an awkward moment because then I don't know whether I should congratulate you or or whether I should say sorry that I didn't invite you. Like, what should my reaction be? Should I say sorry that we didn't know you were going to be king? And probably it was an awkward moment for David's father in the moment. like, son, uh, I'm sorry, but I thought you didn't deserve to be here. Or or maybe he had to say, congratulations, son. Uh, Well, God loves you so much, he qualified you. But that is what the goodness of God does to us, is that he qualifies us for his promise. When we feel unqualified, when we feel uninvited to a platform, he qualifies us for his promises. And that's what the father does. And so the story of David continues. David leaves that place and it must be it must be an amazing feeling but at the same time a daunting responsibility because you know that there is a current king who's there but you are the one who's been anointed to be the next king how do you live your life in this interim place where you are not king yet but you're carrying the anointing of kingship The the actual king doesn't know that you have been anointed, and so you somehow have to hide this thing. And so David begins to live his life. He continues to serve his father, natural father. He continues to look after the sheep of his father. And this one time, after the spirit of the Lord, the Bible says, had departed from King Saul, An evil spirit started tormenting the king. And one of the servants of the king approached him and said, King, we're going to call for a musician for you. Someone who's going to sing songs when this tormenting spirit comes upon you. And when they sing those songs, those evil spirits will flee from you. And the king said, please bring that man here to do exactly that. And I was thinking... I've never been a recruitment agent, but I've, I've met people in, <laughs> who are recruitment agents. And, but imagine you have to find a candidate for the king who has to compete against the entire kingdom. You, you, you're going to look for someone who is very well qualified to play for the king. You're not just going to look for someone you know that you know, p- could potentially play. You're looking for someone who can really play all right here you're not doing leadership development skills and you know you're doing three courses to develop your voice and your vocal codes and how to no you're looking for someone who can sing for the king and so one of the servants says these words so Saul said to seven provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me then one of the servants answered and said look I have seen a son of Jesse, the man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. And the Lord is with him. I'm just, I'm just so amazed when I read this. I have seen a son of Jesse. The servant begins to give the Almost the characteristics of the person that they are about to employ. He says, I have seen the son of David. I just didn't see him once, but I have seen him. The son of Jesse. He is the man of valor. He uses almost military words to describe David who would never fought a war before. He says he's a man of war. When did David ever fight his first war? He's a shepherd. When did he become a man of valor? When did he become a man of war? If I was king, my first question was going to be, why isn't this guy in the army? Like, why does he have all these amazing strength and he's not in the army? But four things we learn from the process that David got into. One is that David was consistent in his gift. He was consistent before he got the platform to play for the king. He was playing when he didn't have a platform. And sometimes in the process, we overlook the little things that we do in the process because we are waiting for the big opportunities to come. Whereas it's in the process when we do the little things that the people notice and create the bigger platform that we desire. He says, I have seen. David, I have seen him. When he's tending the sheep of his father, I have seen him play. There's no rapport between, between being a shepherd and being a musician, but I know David has this gift and he's practicing and he's working on it. But he says David was also a man of war. He had capabilities. He had strengths that David was practicing how to fight. In the process because he knew he carried the anointing to be king one day. And he knew that kings would fight. And he was practicing his skills. He was practicing his fighting abilities because he knew that he was carrying the anointing of kingship on his life. And how many times sometimes we forget to practice our craft in the process because we are waiting for that day that will come. And we all don't know when that day will come. David became a man of valor whilst he was still a shepherd. He became a man of war whilst still serving his father. He didn't become a man of war when he became king, but when he was still a shepherd. And so, this is what the Lord does in the process: is that the Lord prepares us in the process. When David qualified for the promise because of the mercy of God God started preparing him in the process see what the process does the process is that the process prepares us for the next phase of life which I'll mention in a moment when you give birth to a dream prematurely that external exposure can kill that dream very easily Because giving birth to something prematurely before it has fully developed its capabilities to withstand external pressure, that external pressure can crush it. And therefore preparation is important and God prepares us there in the process. And so so the third P is this one, prominence. And after this, then, in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, David started doing, going back to the king and going back to serve his father. So he was doing two jobs at the same time. This one time, his father sends him to go and give food to his brothers. And so he gets to his brothers and he notices that there's this big enemy who has been terrorizing the people of God, called Goliath. To summarize the story, David is taken before King Saul because he wants to confront this national enemy. Because Goliath was not a personal enemy, he was a national enemy. He was a person that terrorized the entire nation of Israel. And so David gets to the king. When he leaves the king's court, the Bible says this, which I found to be so profound, that the king asked His servant, whose son is this? And I wondered, I said, how can David serve as a personal musician for the king? How can David go as far as becoming an armor bearer for the king? And yet the king never gave him the recognition he deserved. How come the king is again asking about the name of David and whose father, whose son David is? If David had served the king so faithfully over these many months or many years. Sometimes in the process, natural kings will overlook you, but your heavenly king would never. Natural kings will not give you the recognition perhaps that you deserve because of what you've done. But you're understanding that, hey, listen, I have another father. I have another king. Kings or us? whose son is this? And they told him that this is the son of Jesse, David. And so David says, I want to fight this man, Goliath. The king looks at him and despises him and says, you are just a boy. You cannot fight this man. He's been fighting from the time he was a boy. You cannot fight him. And David, you I wish I was in that room to listen to the insistence of David. You know, probably makes me feel sometime when you're talking to someone of a different generation, maybe in their 60s and you are in your 30s and you're so passionate about something and you have a vision for something, not imaginary, but something substantial. <laughs> and you're talking to them And they're probably looking at you in their heart like, ah, look at this little boy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Life hasn't hit him yet. Uh, He's not experienced yet. He's talking about building this business or he's talking about building this ministry. I just look at him and I laugh. And I I can imagine that discussion happening between King Saul and David. David is saying to him, I want to go fight him. He's saying, you're just a boy. David insists, no, but King I want to go fight this man. And finally the king is convinced by David's insistence. And he says, listen, then I will give you my armor to protect you. Again, an indication of I don't fully believe what you're talking about. But I'll give you just a little bit of my protection to ensure that you don't get killed too quickly. (laughs) And David tries to wear that on, but he can't walk. And so he goes back to the king and said, King, I I won't be able to walk. And then he says something profound. He says, King, when I was a shepherd beyond the sheep of my dad, a lion would come and grab a lamb from me. I would go after it. And I would grab the lamb from the lion. And when the lion would try to come after me, I would kill it. The same God who gave me victory over the lion and the bear He's going to give me victory over this uncircumcised Philistine. He says, listen, you know in the natural, you as natural king, don't think that I'll be able to do this. But I've got another king who's my heavenly king who says to me, I gave you victory before and I will give you victory again. He says, I have another king who thinks I'm better, I'm deserving, who thinks I can do it. I'm not going to give up just because you, natural king, are saying to me, I won't do it. My heavenly king says, I can do it. And so David kills Goliath, and David becomes now a popular person. Another awkward moment. The king was doubting his capabilities. Now he's bringing the head of an enemy. The entire army is like, guys, we just this boy. Now the the, king has got the head of the enemy, and David has brought that before the king. Again, I don't know if the king was congratulating David or regretting why he didn't believe in David in the first place. Sometimes, as we're talking about good father, I didn't grow up with my my dad because my dad passed away when I was fairly young. But God had given me opportunities to be around my brothers and other fathers in the church circle that I'd learned from, that I still learn from, that can have an impact on our lives. I'm trying to remember the point I was trying to make with this example. (laughs) But here's what I wanted to say on this point. That although Saul didn't believe in David, There were people around David who believed in him. Maybe you didn't grow up with a dad who fully believed in you, empowered you, and encouraged you to go for your dreams. But God has always placed people around you to do that job. It's not the same as your natural dad if they were there. But God has always placed people around you to do that for you. At one point in my life, I realized that you've got to come to a place where you count the cost of remaining in the regrets of not having a dad versus accepting the reality that God has placed people around you and go and pursue your dreams. And sometimes the cost of remaining in the pain and the sorrow of not having having a dad or maybe not having had a good dad cost you more, cost you time, cost you sleep, n- or oh, nights rather, because you have sleepless nights, because you, you, you're always wondering where he was, what he could have done. And rather to redirect that energy, not to minimize the pain of it, but to redirect that energy to focusing on the men and the women that God has placed around you and say, I'm going to go and pursue my dream. Because there's a heavenly Father who believes in you. And sometimes the way the heavenly father who believes in you speaks to you. Is through the people that he has placed around you. And so David becomes king. And then he becomes a popular guy amongst women. You know. It's, 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 it's natural. You know. He was, he was handsome. He was good looking. And, and, and then he becomes a popular guy. And then women started singing songs for him. And so this one time they were singing songs and they started ascribing to David tens of thousands and to Saul only thousands. And now you have David who is now becoming this popular guy amongst, you know, the ladies and king Saul is only getting less of that. And that creates and becomes the beginning of the conflict between Saul and David. And so David has to start running for his life and running for his life until Second Samuel chapter two when David finally becomes king in Judah, and then second Samuel chapter five, he becomes king over the entire nation of Israel and this is what happened sorry, did I delete my there we go yes, thank you. <laughs> when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. When the Philistines, the moment David becomes king, opposition arises. The Philistines went attacking David when he was running from cave to cave. But the moment he becomes king, opposition arises. In the place of our prominence, we are going to encounter opposition. And sometimes, in fact, most of the time, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the anointing that you carry. Because the moment David becomes king, opposition arises. When you went to manager yet, all your colleagues loved you. They talked to you about the CEO. They just, it was fun to be around them. The moment you were promoted, uh, you are living in isolation. (laughs) It's because it has nothing to do with you. The anointing you carry attracts opposition. And so when when they heard that David became king, they started coming after him in full force. There are three things I want to close with from the life of David in terms of his prominence. One is opposition. And David was able to overcome the opposition because he allowed himself to go through the process. Because the preparation in the process prepares you for the opposition in your prominence. And if you skip the preparation in the process when you are encountered or confronted with the opposition your prominence, you don't know how to fight it. Because you never allowed yourself to go through the process and be prepared for the opposition. And the second thing in the prominence is that there is temptation. David, at this point in chapter chapter 2, the Bible says, That David at that time already had six wives. And then when he was anointed king, he took more concubines. And this was all under the age of 30. When he was having these six wives. And then he takes more concubines. In the place of prominence, you're going to confront temptation. And it's not just temptation to fall into sexual sin. It's temptation to steal the company money for your personal enrichment. It's a temptation to do things that violate your values and are inconsistent with the plans of God for your life. The temptation and the prominence. And the last thing is responsibility. And David had the responsibility in Second Samuel, I think chapter 15, somewhere there, but we can verify. When kings were supposed to go to war, David decided to abdicate his personal responsibility and refuses to go to war. And so by refusing to go to war, he happens to be passing through the roof and he sees this lady having a shower. And he loved her, and he was willing to do everything to get her, even after he found out that she was someone else's wife. When you refuse to do and take responsibility in your prominence, there are always consequences to your lack of responsibility. Because of his passive leadership, his kingdom started to crumble. Imagine as a king you have been caught with someone else's wife. And then you didn't reveal that thing to people. God showed it to prophet Nathan to come and rebuke you about it. Because you were hiding. He wanted to hide the entire story. That the husband of that woman died while in battle. And the prophet comes to him and says, King, you have done this. Now imagine you are sitting on this throne with all the prominence and all the glory. And somebody tells you, you have murdered someone. And you have taken someone else's wife. His life is messed up. He makes mistakes. His family is disoriented. His son rapes his sister. His His own son, Absalom overthrows him for a period from his throne. And David has to run from his own throne because of his own son. Dysfunctional family. Things are beginning to break in David's life. Because he refused to take responsibility. But again, we have a God who is full of mercy. Who restores David From his place of fallenness. Which is my last piece that God restores us for his purpose. And so these are the things that God does. He qualifies us for the promise, He prepares us for the process, or rather, in the process, and He sustains us in our prominence, and He restores us for his purpose. And God restores David. Not because you wanted David to look good, because you wanted David to carry on on the assignment he had him on. Can we please stand? And I want to say this to you today. If you feel, you feel rather unqualified, or you, people around you don't believe in you. There's a God who qualifies you. And there's a God who believes in you. And I want to remind you this morning. That if you're here. And you feel like almost the last part of the life of David. Where he'd wronged God and people so much. Such that unless God restored him. There was no hope for him. Maybe your marriage is going through a hard time because of your own mistakes. Maybe you're not working right now because of your own mistakes. I want to say this to you that there's a God who restores for the sake of his purpose on your life. And he's here today to do exactly that for you. I want you to take a moment and look at these four things. I want you to invite God in whatever phase of life that you find yourself in if you need Him to restore you, I want you to begin and say, Lord, restore my life. Restore me. If you find yourself like you are in the process, in this place of grinding where the big breakthrough that you've been trusting for hasn't come yet, but you you are forced to work with the little things and you're required to be faithful in the little things, I want you to invite God there to continue doing His work in your heart and so i continue doing this work in my heart of preparing me in the process and so take a moment to do that and I'm going to pray for us together Father in the name of Jesus Lord I pray today that for those of us who might not have had natural fathers either for a long time or for the whole of our lives. We know that you are our Heavenly Father. And the things that our natural dads couldn't do, we know because of your goodness, you do them. And so Lord, I ask that right now in Jesus' name, you would speak to every heart, that is broken every soul that is downtrodden every mind that is troubled that you would speak peace in Jesus name that there would be a revelation and an understanding that we have a father and our father is God that we would say like David In Psalm 37, 25, that I have been young and now I am old, yet I have never seen a righteous forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. Thank you that your goodness transcends generations. And we thank you today in Jesus' name. Lord, we bless you. We give you glory and honor. Come on, family. Can we give the Lord a round of applause?